0: Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour... Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks.
1: Welcome. I am Betsy Hicks, and welcome to Autism One, A Conversation of Hope. I'm very happy to announce our show today because it is the something very dear to me of a book that I read um, called The Four Agreements. It was brought to my attention by the founders of Autism One, and they searched to find a wonderful guest to help bring a lot of the teachings of this book to all of our listeners. What kind of came into fruition is that we found a man who not only has wonderful guide to the teachings of this book, The Four Agreements, but in addition has um, is a pediatrician and has fabulous ideas and teachings as well. Dr. Gene Nathan is with us today and he went to medical school at the University of Rochester and interned at stayed on in Pediatrics in Children's Hospital of San Diego in UCSD. He has a pediatric he had a pediatric practice in San Diego until last year. He's currently working with local Academy of Pediatrics for a program for universal newborn home visiting and developmental screening. His interest in meditation and spiritual healing have been integrated into his work for many years. He has studied Christian mysticism, Kabbalah, Taoism, but most recently he has worked closely with Don Miguel Ruiz, author of The Four Agreements. Welcome very much. I am so happy to have you on the show today, Doctor Nathan.
2: Well, I'm happy to be here.
1: Thank Thanks for inviting me. One of the first um, things I'd like to just mention to our listeners is, uh, in talking about the Four Agreements and the Toltec teachings, that this is not necessarily about a one religion. This is this. These words are based on wisdom. Not. It's it's not a particular religion. Is that correct?
2: Completely correct. Uh, My teacher, that Miguel Ruiz, who wrote the book, uh, of course was trained in particular ways. He was trained as a Catholic and then as uh, a Toltec. And then he began to see that really at the bottom of what he wanted to teach was just common sense. Mm -hmm. Common sense about how we view the world, how our realities are based on the kinds of conversations we have in our head and with other people, the kinds of attitudes and ways that we look at things, and how we can really transform our lives and ultimately the people around us by doing that transformation, by really making a difference in how we think, how we feel, and how we love in the world.
1: And in relation to that with parenthood, the... I've read a lot of your, your writings as well. And I guess in, in segueing this into to the parenthood piece of the mm-hmm. four agreements, we have these certain expectations of what parenthood is going to be when, when we go into it. And what would you advise to those who feel that either they don't have the child they thought they would have and or they are not the parents they thought they would be?
2: Right, right. I think that's a really important thing, and of course, uh, we're talking on an autism one radio show, but this could be about any parent and any child, really. Uh, And uh, I was thinking about the conversation we're going to have today, and what came to mind was a friend of mine who was a newborn specialist, a neonatologist, and he had a child with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And he was playing ball with them one day, and he Uh, had a revelation, and he told me this revelation. He said, you know, I realized that Pete did not have Down syndrome. I had Down syndrome. In other words, Pete was completely happy. Mm -hmm. He was a living being, completely authentic to himself and completely loving. Everybody else knew that he had a diagnosis. Everybody else knew that he had limitations. Everybody else had had ideas about this why it happened, why it didn't happen. And, of course, we're accumulating those ideas pretty much from the moment we get parented in life. Mm -hmm. We hear and see the way our parents talk about us in the room, talk about other children. We see and hear the way school handles us, everybody, and we all have ideas about what proper child-rearing is supposed to be, what proper behaviors and expectations are going to be, And whether we believe it or not, that becomes part of the fabric of our internal conversation in our brain. So almost any child you get is not going to quite fit up to our ideal expectation, and particularly so a child who has kind of a different system of perception that Mm -hmm. uh, autism kids have. And, you know, that brings up another thing is that all of our developmental screens are really deficit screens we're really looking at what's wrong with this child, what's wrong with this person. We establish these norms. And it's not exactly kind of encouraging. Uh, so uh, we are looking through it through a particular colored lens. Right. And while that conversation is important, we don't have to take it to heart. We can see every child as a gift of life and a gift that really can't be completely understood or plumbed, a gift that's going to take us years to unwrap. And because it is life in its fullest coming at us, it's definitely going to change our lives. Absolutely every parent knows that the moment the child arrives, or even before the child arrives, their life has altered forever. And it's really the job of that child, that life, to bring up parents. And having a big open mind and a great deal of acceptance are two of the things that really help us really see the magic of that child in our life.
1: When my son was severely, severely ill um, and would scream all day long, it's very hard, even with the most positive of perceptions, to kind of keep the focus that this is a gift.
2: Right um,
1: yeah. now, I have to say, now uh-huh. in my life, having been through all of that, mm-hmm. um, knowing who those, what those tears did to me, and, and how they changed me and my perceptions, and many many people that witnessed him, um, knowing what, how, how they've been able to mold myself as as parent, I can say that. Although I am very sad my son had to suffer, I understand it, and I and I understand what his purpose was for this. Um, but it's, you know, I know there are parents listening today that are thinking, what could possibly be the good from having a child who smears their feces on the wall? Right,
2: yeah.
1: And what would you say to them?
2: Well, that's a challenging one, of course. And, uh, you know, there is... Um, You know, there are those moments when we're very tired and we're very locked in a particular point of view when it just seems impossible to break out of it. And it almost seems that, almost seems that the more we're there, the more intense things actually get. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that is, uh, for sure the case. And what you said, which was really interesting, is that you did come through that period of time. And as I'm sure it took some work on your part, yeah. some inner work to do that. And in that inner work, you began to touch something, you know, much more fundamental than the story about what the behavior of your child is today or tomorrow. Uh, we do have the strength to handle the things that come our way. And we actually have the insight to tackle many of the things that they have. And that place comes from something which we call inner silence, some place that's very silent. So finding your way there and having the habit of going to that place is, you know, very important. And the earlier we start of it, the easier it gets to be. So obviously being able to go to a place like that before we tackle pregnancy and parenthood mm-hmm. is a great idea
1: Definitely. because
2: we have a little more resources But at any time, we can begin to start breathing yes, and taking a breath in and a breath out and seeing that life indeed supports us. And yes, uh, there may be poop on the wall. There may be blue ink all over your new white leather thing. There may be a mess all over your house. There may be noise. There may be sleepless nights. And yet, we're still breathing. We're still supported by life. And that will prevail. And finding that place of love does help enormously. Reduce, not necessarily the tiredness and the work and everything, but reduce the suffering around what Mm -hmm. goes on. And the suffering is the conversation that we have in our head about the conditions that we're in. Yes, there's work and a lot of it, but then there's this whole conversation of, Why am I here? How could this have happened to me? Why isn't my husband or son or father supporting me more? Why don't the doctors tell me more? These conversations add to the misery factor.
1: Yes. And they make
2: our bodies feel very unhappy on top of everything else that goes on.
1: I couldn't agree more. And that silence piece that you mentioned really hits with me the most because... Now, as, a, as somebody who works in the field, and my husband being a pediatrician and working with so many other children, um, I, I honestly see the parents that run and um, you know, they're constantly chasing after what's the latest, what's the newest, constantly reading, constantly going to, to seminars, and never just sitting with the silence and and be it prayer, meditation, whatever it is it may be, um, I, I find that those parents frequently are just I like to, these hamsters on the wheel and never going anywhere, as opposed to those who really kind of sit with the moment. And I'm not saying you should be not proactive. I definitely believe in proactiveness, but... Um, there, there's a lot to, to come from um, just I, I really think that some of the greatest guidance for me came from sitting in a quiet room and just praying, please help me make this better. And then amazingly, the, the answers would would start coming my way. We, we have to take a break. Um, okay. And when we get back, though, I would like to talk more about um, helping families cope when they feel... Slightly hopeless. We'll be right back with Dr. Jean Nathan. Don't go away.
0: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me.
4: The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. To create a kind and gentle world, a change in thought patterns and beliefs, individually
0: and collectively, is needed. Join Suze Casey, developer of belief repattering, and her guest as they explore questions and conversations that push the boundaries and engage with you in the process of being who we really are and creating what we really want in our lives. What Do You Want Instead invites you to join the conversation every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. What Do You Want Instead supports you in honoring and accepting yourself and making the decisions that create the lifestyle you desire and deserve
1: hi this is mark victor hansen you know me for chicken soup of the soul the one minute millionaire and cracking the millionaire code and what i want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health listen to health crusades by my friend john farley
0: tune in to health crusades with john farley every thursday at 8 a.m pacific standard time only on voice america health and wellness your life your health your network you're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy.
1: Welcome back. We are back here with Dr. Jean Nathan. And... Uh, Dr. Nathan, we're talking about kind of this hopelessness that so many parents get. Right. Um, can you somehow address, because you started to talk about it, and I really think this is an important piece. Um, I have to say, when people used to tell me when my child was screaming and running around all the time, and they would say, go into a corner, meditate. You know, uh, go get your nails done. We've joked about that on the show before. Uh-huh. Uh, get, sure. Take some time to yourself. I, I would want to slap them because yeah, it's like you obviously don't know my world, but right. yet I have to say I remember the times so clearly in my mind when my son would be screaming in the other room and I would literally just collapse to the floor and just and just pray and just you know you know please send me the answers. Um, how, how is it when, when things, I mean, there, there's, you know there's different forms of autism. And yeah. when, when you're dealing with light versions, you have your moments towards that. But when you're dealing with the really heavy autism, um, how do you deal with the hopelessness of that?
2: Well, hopelessness is hopelessness. And, uh, you know, as I prepared myself for this talk, I was thinking, you know, somebody listening could say, well, Dr. Nathan, you don't have a child with autism. You really can't know exactly what goes on with me. And that's true. But I do know hopelessness. Mm -hmm. I think all of us do. And hopelessness is a closed-in, stuffy dream that we would say is a self-reflective reality. Whatever we believe becomes reflected to us in our life. And in order to change that, we have to actually shift the belief shift the words we use and shift the knowledge we use, whatever the form of hopelessness. And you described it so well. I mean, we are so trapped in our own sense of reality that if somebody suggests a different reality, it's an insult. It's a slap in the face. It's like, are you accusing me of being a bad mom, of being a bad human being, of being a bad spiritual thing? You don't think I haven't tried all of those things? These are the words of hopelessness talking. And... Uh while every great sage has said the same thing over and over again since time immemorial, and those who have tried it and cultivated it have found that it's true, it's very hard when you're in the middle of it to accept that kind of advice. But the truth is that at some point, all of the thinking and conniving and searching and escaping and all of that exhausts you and you come to an end, and there's this moment of surrender this is moment of surrender and you say in whatever the circumstances i don't know if you pray you're praying to god if not you just have to say i don't know i don't have a solution and i don't have an answer please life open me please open me because i don't want to live in this closed space anymore
1: and then you And have that's to when the
2: miracles happen
1: right and but you have to listen to the miracles too Yes. And that's something I see a lot is I do see in many people th- the words are given to them they're told what to do but yet they don't they and I don't mean told what to do by a person I mean you know the you know, a few people will tell them to go to the same place or whatever it might be but yet there they sometimes it's stubbornness I don't know if if that's a good word it's, to put It's conditioning really. conditioning
2: uh, And this is a very good point, is to understand how we do learn the way that we think. We learn it with over and over repetition. Uh, And uh, the truth is that we have been conditioned to see things as problems, to tell a story of woe. That is part of who we are as an identity, is how we fought our way out of different difficulties. It's the way we are featured on the radio, on television, in books, everything that we've seen has conditioned us to move towards that element. When we ask somebody to do something different, it feels very much like an untruth. It feels insincere, not because it is or it isn't, but chiefly because we've hardly ever tried it. It's like taking a path we've never been down. It just doesn't have that feel of familiarity that we call our belief system. And... Let's give an example that I really love. It's not autism, but it's close. There Mm -hmm. are these children that people have made this story about called the indigo children.
1: Yes, I know very.
2: And I don't see colors and auras or indigos, so I have no idea about indigo or red or orange or anything like that. But I'll tell you what I do like about their story is they rewrote the story of their life. These children were no longer problem children that couldn't obey and were kicked out of school they became some kind of messenger of life, which is true. They, in my opinion, they were seeing that nature is evolving and has created a new messenger, and it's our job to figure out how to help that child develop a quality of life by delivering that message. And that message is that these children are royalty, that they're, uh, they're truth seekers, that they are able to uh, see lies, and so on and so forth. I like that a lot. Because that's a story that right away makes my body feel good and everybody feel good around them, even though it may sound very strange. But just knowing that there's that story in the world begins to start the juices of creativity flowing to begin to make that dream a reality on some level.
1: That's an excellent example. I, 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 I love the work of, the, of many of those who've contributed to the Indigo Children and you're exactly right, and and a lot of people have analogies the same way towards that of autism. Um, you know many call them, and I know this is stated quite right often the whole canary in the coal mine piece as as these children are many of them are sick as a result of environmental toxicity, and it's, they, they have become this um, wonderful awakening to environmental causes, both through whatever it might be. Um, But the children themselves, I I, I look at my son and I see how much he loves his world. Wherever his world is, whatever his world is, he's happy there. He's no longer sick, and I definitely when I felt like as a parent the pressure, I felt the pressure to get him well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it wasn't a pressure to make him quote-unquote normal. Right. It was, I, I wanted him feeling good.
2: Yes.
1: But I did not feel that I needed him to act the way everyone else did. That um was something that... um I still have to say I struggle with. It, it, there's days when I'm very comfortable with that piece, and there's other days where I really would like to be able to dig into his world more. But personally, I think he's the one operating at a much higher frequency than I am.
2: Yes. Gosh, you just say s- such beautiful things, and they're so oh, true. Thank uh, you. You know, I was going to say that I. You know, when I say that acceptance and love and all these things are important, that doesn't mean that we don't treat people who are sick. It doesn't mean that we aren't going to, and I don't know what kind of parent wouldn't, take the steps necessary to alleviate pain to make the quality of life of the child better, to help that child communicate better. And we do see the advances that have been made have really changed a lot of the face of
4: at least some of the
2: spectrums of the autism area. Uh, and I think that the other thing that you mentioned is quite true. I think that what we do see from those higher functioning autisms kids who have written books uh begins to show us a little bit into their world that you know some of the way that they perceive light and sound and stuff is not exactly the same way that we do, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily bad in the same way that deaf people don't necessarily for sure want their deaf children to be hearing because they don't think there's anything wrong with being deaf. It's just a different world. It's a different perception. It's a different reality. Mm -hmm. That's not true for everyone, but for some of them. So there's much lessons to be learned about somebody who sees our quote-unquote reality from a different point of view. But one thing you said that's just so beautiful was about the love and the connection that that feeling that you have with that child Mm that connectivity that you have on that level, you can reach that child and that child can reach you. And I'm sure you have lots of examples where somehow you saw something that your child was able to communicate with you in some fashion,
4: um, however it
2: was. Uh, So we have that. And then we have this other thing, which is that, gosh, you folks are the pioneer parents of unconditional love in this, Activity, You're just beginning to write the book on how to do this.
5: You're going to begin to
2: write those stories and tales of how we're going to see these children and what they're going to teach us, not just about how do we clean up our environment, which is very important, and what we learn about the brain and so on and so forth, but how do we see how somebody can be a little different from us but can be completely happy in their world, completely content. What can we learn from that? What can we learn from that that's in our society? Because, you know, from my perspective as a pediatrician, uh, the children who are brought up in the society are under tremendous stress. I think they're all canaries in the mindset. Right, you're right. Uh, but the difference is that we can condition those children. We can make them conform. Yeah. <laughs> they can be bent to our will. Which we call child rearing and a lot of it of course is good, don't get me wrong here. But also a lot of it is more of the same hectic, high pressure type of living that we all live. These children of yours, gosh, we cannot do that to them. What amazing thing. Isn't
1: that a great that is a very good point. I've never thought about that. They don't have to deal with the conditioning. Right. That's very interesting, yes. That makes a lot of sense. We have to break again, I to do this because I love to get into deep conversation with you. So we are going to take a quick break. Um, When we get back, let's go further on that piece and let's talk a little bit about what type of boundaries we are supposed to give our children. Uh, We'll be right back here with Dr. Jean Nathan. Please don't go away.
0: Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health
5: and Wellness.
3: We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the sensory learning institute and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child. Who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me?
4: The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com.
5: Opinions, options,
0: answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy.
1: Thank you. We're back here with uh, Dr. Jean Nathan. Yes. And we are talking right now a little bit about um, the conditioning that we put on our children and how our children with autism frequently don't conform to those conditionings and they have a much brighter world then actually most children that are out there, they don't feel the stresses the way that um, the conditioning teaches us to feel, I guess. is that, is that They the don't even
2: respond. I mean, you know, uh, if somebody lies to them, they just don't even know what to make of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because the whole thing of uh, words that are not uh, in accord with facial expression just doesn't register with them. <laughs>
1: That's exactly right. And and, and, well. But this and brings
2: up a really yeah. beautiful thing, and okay. a friend of mine put it so well. And she said, let's assume that every child is like a, an alien. And everybody's always talking about aliens coming to the planet. Let's say it's an alien being, an angel that comes to this planet, and it doesn't speak the language. It's in a physical body that it really doesn't even know how to use yet when it's born. And it has no idea what the dangers, what the food is, what the culture is, what the mores of the society that it's landed in. But it just has one message and one message to deliver, which is that it's alive and that, that life is the fundamental feeling of love and connectedness that we all have. And it can't help but deliver that message. Mm-hmm. Now, most parents are very busy. And God bless them. They're trying. They're very darnedest to do the right thing by their children, and to kind of make them into some mold of what they think is going to be successful in life, or some of the things that they themselves uh, didn't get to accomplish in their lives that were frustrating for them. And in some cases, there's uh, you know even more difficulty. What we used to call the ghosts in the nursery, which are the grieving and all the other thing that happened from previous children and other things that happen that get passed down from one generation to another. Right. So all this comes on the child almost with the first uh, child's response and hooking of attention, I mean, uh, not hooking of attention, catching the attention and then uh, training. It happens with the words, with the gestures, with the matching of the child's affect and language to ours. And the thing is that most parents are busy running and running and running, just like the parents you talked before, uh, reading the newspaper about what they're supposed to do with their children every Saturday, what schools they're supposed to get into, right. what colleges, what's the best tutoring, whether they should have French lessons, whatever it is. And they hardly stop to think that maybe my job is chiefly to keep this child safe so, until they learn the ways of this world to teach them a language with which they can speak with other people, to show them what tools we have there for communication and love, and to generally just support that child because that child is just full of life. And that child is much more likely to make an impact on your life than you are on that life, certainly right off the bat. Your sleeping schedule is far more likely to change when the baby is born than the other way around. Am I correct? That's
1: definitely true. (laughs) Uh,
2: And your social schedule and many other things are going to change uh, dramatically. Really, you could say that in some ways the child is the leader, and at some point we have to trust that the life that you gave that child, the internal things are going to guide that child, that that same place of surrender where you go to for guidance, that child has. And maybe, in your case, your child is even much more closely connected to that because there was nothing to surrender to that mm-hmm. child in the first place.
1: That would make sense.
2: There oh. was no brain telling it it couldn't do this and it could do this and it should do this right. and it shouldn't do that. That's all gone. That connection's running full time. We have to actually make an act of surrender to do that. Now, of course, we're going to do things that are going to help our child be as successful as they can and not be able to uh, feed themselves and close themselves and, you know, reproduce themselves. But we don't have to necessarily make those things more important than our internal workings and our internal life and love. Those can be tools that anybody can use to express themselves, to be creative, to earn a living, to find somebody. But they don't have to rule us. And I think this is where people get into very difficult battles with their children all the time. And part of it is that they're so afraid of what will happen if they don't bring this child up this way and what people will think. And then we get scared constantly about our children. There's always a Time magazine with a kid with a gun on the cover and said, the kid in the basement. And every time a kid bites another kid in the preschool, when I was in practice, I'd get an immediate phone call from three parents. The parent of the child, the preschool director, and the child who was bit. And they were all worried that because that child had reached out in a moment of aggression, that that child was going to be a mass murderer when they were 15 and what to do about it. These are the kinds of things that are in our mind, and it is a journey to begin to undo those bit by bit.
1: Because we're putting that intention out there. Exactly. Yes. Uh I can definitely understand. So, in talking though about boundaries, because I, I, I really, really love my children. I, uh-huh. I, um, I, I love to be with them. Although I really like my break for my children as yeah. well. But I okay.
2: So you're talking about those kind of boundaries.
1: Well, a couple different kind of boundaries. Uh-huh. Um, but that would be, definitely be one of them. But okay. another big piece of it is. You know, my, my, the teenage daughter that says, or the any of our children that say, you know, it's my life. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: It's my life. And, and you know, of course, our condition, or my conditioning is, well, as long as you're living under my roof, it's, yeah, it's partly my, my, my life. Yeah, it's my the highway, yeah. It's my... Yeah. And I, I don't think I'm a dictator of a parent, um, but yet... What, what is the response to a child who who lashes out, it's my life?
2: Well, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult situation. Um, well, in a way, it's, it's, it's an easy-to-understand situation, but it can be difficult when you're on the ground working with it because that child who's a teenager now is peer-adapted and has picked up a lot of ideas. But fundamentally... All along the way, if we have that quality quiet time with our children, if we're bonding and creating that sense of home where that child and us are heart-to-heart together and in love and just feeling that sense, if that becomes the orientation of the family, then that child can always come back there and come back there in the company of you to get that. And that's a big help. Uh, When it comes to boundaries as the child gets older, the boundaries really have to do with protecting the physical body of the child and the other people in the house because we want to honor that body and take good care of it.
1: Okay. Then when we
2: get older, we get into some other issues which are very interesting. You know, people are testing boundaries. They're experimenting. And, of course, it is your house at some point, and you can say this is the way I do it. But we have to be very careful to begin to hear the voices that come out of our head and the tone of the voices and is that really your voice or is that your grandma's voice coming out and you know when it is and you know my suggestion is you know um, start writing those down and hearing who is really talking who is really imposing the law here you or your mother or your grandmother or your uncle or your next door neighbor because uh, it should be you, and it should be you from a place of integrity and okay. authenticity, and you know when you're connected to your child, when your child's in trouble, and you need to move in and intervene, and you know kind of when, uh, you know, you can give your child a little more thing, but let's make the conversation to the greatest extent civil and loving with as much hugs, and a hug can right. also be something that is unseen. You can hug your child from across the room, even when they don't want to be touched by you anymore. But they will feel that. I have been through two teenagers in my household, (laughs) and they have all had their own challenges. And I have to say that I got nowhere till I got to the place of whatever it is, this is a house of love, and it's a house of acceptance. And yes, there are going to be things that are different than the way I was brought up, that I've ever used before, and I think each teenager is a unique teacher of the family
4: of some other way
2: of breaking or conditioning.
1: They're You're almost exactly designed right. that way. I, I can feel that 100%. We have to take another break. When we get back, um, Dr. Nathan, I'd like to talk a little bit about siblings as well. Okay. We'll be right back with Dr. Jean Nathan. Don't go away.
5: Opinions, options,
0: answers. Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me.
4: The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com.
5: The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease eating disorders affect men women adolescents as well as young children on understanding eating disorders doctor tom scales an internist and psychiatrist uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered Reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Jean Nathan, and we're going to be talking. We've been talking a lot about um, everything from parenting to acceptance to conditioning, of ourselves and how we sometimes condition our children. Um, I'd like to talk to you now, Dr. Nathan, about siblings. Ooh. Because <laughs> I, I feel somewhat selfish in this interview.
2: Okay, <laughs> you're I, right. I hope I'm so. not dealing
1: with all of my own <laughs> issues. <laughs> but I, I, I hope that, that um, I, there's a lot of typicalness in my household um, that I can help bring light to others. Um, right. I, I, in my particular home, I have two daughters and my son, um, who has suffered from autism, is dramatically better, but um, relatively nonverbal. And um, his sisters love him tremendously, oh, and they are wonderful with him. Um, the girls, however, are really my greater source of stress, uh-huh. as they constantly disrespect one another, right. and as My piece is after listening to what you're saying today and wanting to create a home of love and knowing how much love I have for my children um, and and how much respect I have for them all individually, uh, uh, knowing also that a lot of that anger and that rivalry comes from um, a place of wanting to be special to mom or wanting to have have all the attention of mom Mm -hmm. Um, understanding all of that, but yet they are such good girls to everyone right. except for each other.
2: Right. And you know, it's a, you know, as you're talking, I'm I'm just saying, you know, I'm not really sure that we do know why they do this, but I do know that the the idea of jealousy uh, between siblings or anybody else, and the idea of disrespecting people, is a learned behavior. It's not necessarily natural for people. They probably didn't learn it at your household, but they went to school and they saw how there could be attention and power, how we copy those things. And we begin to use language in our behavior um, for whatever reason. It becomes habitual. It becomes habitual. I remember one day I can remember distinctly a political argument in our household, and I saw the energy of it and how everybody turned and paid attention to it. Mm -hmm. And I know from that day forward I began to copy a very argumentative style of conversation because obviously in my household that that really brought (laughs) rewards. Uh, And I had to unlearn all of that. So we can say that, you know, at some point your children are going to have to make their peace with the way the world is out there. They are going to have to learn how the world communicates. They're going to practice it with all your good intentions, they're going to make their own life. And that's a great thing. Thank God for that. On the other hand, if you have love in your communications, if your word is, as we call, impeccable, meaning that your word, your gestures, your attitude are in accord with the things that you say you value, you are giving them choice. No matter how they bark at each other, they will come face to face with something that's truthful, that's loving, that feels good, they're going to go into their place, they're going to go into your place. They're going to go into their place, they're going to go into your place. And they can have at least the opportunity to modify, which is something that most of us growing up never get. You know, we hardly ever have a clear mirror with which to modify and see that there's choice. The best thing you can do is to be the best darn clear mirror for your kids that you possibly can be. You model civility. You model loving conversation. Okay. And understand that no matter what, they're going to have to play with that dream out there somehow and that you've given them choice, and they will always have choice with your presence even. The moment they call you on the phone when you are in that place, they're making adjustment to it. They're finding their way back home, and chiefly because your version of home is also their home inside them. You're modeling how you go inside yourself for love, for uh, awareness, for truth. Ultimately, they look inside themselves. That's the very best thing we can do as a parent. We cannot guarantee outcome because there's a whole world out there.
1: And and if and if they are arguing or fighting or such, is the best. Is the best if if it's possible. Can you? Give them permission to argue, but just not in front of. I, I, I use. I get to a point where it's like, if, if this is this is between the two of you. So if you insist on arguing, you're going to have to go upstairs or outside because, or or should I be a part of it, or where where should I?
2: Well, of course, that's the art, and the great thing about parenting is it's a lot of groping in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, but you know. Certainly not giving attention or feeding into that behavior is a part of it. And you can say, you know, in this part of the house, we uh, don't have, uh, we're not allowed to uh, feed off of arguing. Uh, You can go somewhere else. I think that's fine within the house. And uh, then you create a space. I think that's something you came up with from yourself. And so you do have wisdom that comes in, of course, all along. But in some way, you don't want to give that attention. You want your house, to the extent possible, to be the way it is. And you don't want that dream of people arguing and fighting and that the world isn't a place where there's enough, so you have to get the upper hand with everybody, that in order for you to be right, somebody else has to be wrong, Mm. all of that kind of stuff. You don't want that dream in your house where possible because that's your house. It's your kingdom.
1: Right, and what needs to be a loving place... I I have more questions, but we're we're getting close to the end of our show, and I want to make sure we have time to talk about your website. Um, I would like to let everybody know about the Four Agreements, but he's also written other books as well, correct?
2: Yeah, I have written some material, which is uh, a commentary on the Four Agreements that's on my website. at Toltec Sacred Legacies, it's T-O-L-T-E-C. S-A-C-R-E-D, legacies, that's plural, dot com. And they're called Love Letters. And if you are interested at all in um, seeing how to shift your reality and how to be happier and to live more of a life that has integrity, uh, this is one tool that you can have. They're like weekly uh, lessons. I'm also putting together what I call the
4: uh, Next Generation
2: Parents Attitude Adjustment Book. <laughs> And I think that they are going to be CDs that you can play in your car uh, and that will help you uh, just remind ourselves of what we really set out to do. Um, So those are uh, opportunities, uh, and I invite all of you to come check that out with
1: me. Wonderful. And please visit his website because it's wonderful, and there's a lot of wonderful advice there. Uh, The book originally, The Four Agreements, is Don Miguel Ruiz. Ruiz, yeah. Ruiz. and and that is a wonderful book you can find anywhere, a very quick read. Um, Understanding the Four Agreements will help you understand a lot of what uh, Dr. Nathan is trying to teach us today and and is very successfully doing so. I wish we had a lot more time. (laughs) We don't. Um, But I do know that you have been invited, and they are really being persuasive to get you to come to the Autism One conference in uh, next year over Memorial Day weekend to have you come one of those days and, and, and speak to the parents. Uh, probably a preliminary conference is what um, uh, both Terry and Ed have been begging you to do. Um, so I'm sure that if your time allows, that will be made into fruition, and, and we will be able to get to hear a lot more of your teachings Thank you for being out there and doing what it is you do and making such a tremendous difference on so many people's lives.
2: Well, thank you so much for inviting me. You're just such awesome people, and I have so much love and uh, hope and affection for all your listeners out there.
1: May your life
2: be heavenly.
1: Thank you very much, Dr. Jane Nathan. We'll be back with you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, A Conversation of Hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, A Conversation of Hope with Betsy Hicks.